What's up, everybody? This is Noah Kinsey. And Jonesy. And you're listening to the UFR Podcast. Roll it! Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Upon Further Review. Ow, ow, ow. And this is episode 58, where we talk about the 1994 Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. <laughs> My name is Forrest, Forrest Gump. People call me Forrest Gump. People call me Forrest Gump. <laughs> so let's just dive into it. Jonesy. Yes. Like it, love it, hate it. Where are you at? Uh, I fucking love this movie. Oh, me too. Now, this is like one of my all-time favorite movies. I Same here. I think it's one of the it's one of my favorite movies, right. hands down. I don't know if it's like, like cinematically t- the best ever made, but it's one of it's my favorites. It's fucking good. Yeah. Only for me because I love Forrest Gump's character. I love all the characters around them. They, Very cool. feel good. Yeah, it, it really is. And it makes you think at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It really makes you think about what you're kind of doing in life. Yeah. Um, with. All the running. All the running. I just felt like running. Right. Um, And what's kind of cool is I got to experience it with my wife last night, who has only seen the movie in, like, blocks. So she's never sat down to watch it all the way through. And she loved it. Mm. She thought it was great. Her and I were both that... (laughs) That last few beats of the story just bawling her yeah, eyes me out. Too. And it sucks though. Like, fuck you, Zemeckis, because <laughs> you got us all bawling, and then within two seconds, boom, over. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, damn, dude. There's no just, after there's cuddles. No cuddles. Yeah. There's <laughs> nothing afterwards. It was just like straight emotion, emotion, end. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but this is I was telling I was I was telling Bird that this movie was the first movie that I saw in theaters that I actually realized like this is a movie. Like this is yeah. cinematic. Somebody made this movie. There's a purpose, there's context. It wasn't um, just for entertainment. Right. Like uh, but that for there's me as substance. a young kid, because what was it, ninety two? Ninety four. Ninety four. So what was I nine years old when that movie came out? Right. And I remember sitting in the theater watching this movie and just being totally glued to that silver screen mm-hmm. and just enjoying everything about it. We talk a lot about music score throughout a movie, like oh, Jaws man. being really um, uh, you know, tense. tense and uh, adding to the to the mystery and the suspense yep. of the of the shark. I find that the music for Forrest Gump adds so much to the mm-hmm. emotional journey. Yep. It's just absolutely beautiful to like me. Like the soundtrack, the the music they got licensed for just plunks you into the decade he's talking about. Dude, some the of the era. best. I was telling her, I was like, this is some of the best soundtrack stuff you've ever heard. Mainly for me, though, in the... Uh, <laughs> the Doors? the With the Doors, with Credence Clearwater, mm-hmm. those those tracks I fucking loved. Yeah, but then even just the, the score... Mm-hmm. Is very beautiful. Dude, those strings, absolutely uh-huh. amazing. And th- the pacing of the movie, in my opinion, is just phenomenal. Yeah. It, it, it moves quickly and then Such it slows down flow. and it comes in and out of uh, this linear story that he tells while he's sitting on a bus seat. Uh-huh. Right? And I'm just like, I love that, um, the pacing of it based on um, some of the, the elements with him breaking free when he starts running for the first time of the. Of his uh, oh, when he's a little kid, when yeah, he has when the braces, uh huh, and then they his do, magic shows right, and then they do his anywhere. like callbacks uh-huh. to the moments on the bus, and they do callbacks to him as an adult and <laughs> all that type of stuff. I think they the, they just did such a beautiful yeah. job with bringing things back and playing with the pacing <laughs> of the story. It never got boring for me. No. And I haven't seen this movie in years, like straight Mm-mm. through. And I haven't I was, seen it in a while. And I knew the parts that were coming, and I just I I loved every bit, mm-hmm. every bit of it. Yeah, I think it's just, it's a beautiful story. Um, I actually used to own it, and then I'm like, well, I'm not going to watch it that much, so I just sold it. And re-watching it last night, I'm like, I regret selling this movie because it's <laughs> just so good. It's, it's such amazing. a feel-good. I love the message of it where, you know, he's not overly complicated or doesn't make things harder than it is. He just does it, and he accomplishes so much. And right. I love that message because we do. We we. You know, a lot of shit happens in life, and I get it, but 
a lot of people, and I feel like it's easy to do this even if you're ambitious, kind of will blame something on not like I can't do this because da da da, or right. I can't do this because da da da. And this is a nice story. It's like you can still, if you just do what you feel is right, and mm-hmm. if you if you um, take care of other people and just put yourself out there, you can accomplish great things. It's really that simple, and I love that element of this story. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I was younger, I didn't really understand a lot of the theme. I just really enjoyed the character. Uh-huh. And that's interesting because I watched this. When, I mean, I was 12 when it came out and I saw it in the theater uh-huh. and I loved it then. I loved it in college when I actually bought the DVD. Rewatching it now, I feel like I got different things out of it than when I was younger. Totally. It meant more. I never got that emotional at the end until this time. And mm-hmm. I feel like because of my life experience and because I have, you know, years under my belt at this point, it means something completely different to me now. Right. Yeah, I and that's the one thing that I love the most about cinema is that we can watch a movie at 10 years old and then you rewatch that movie as now we're 30 mm-hmm. and it's it has a different context. Yeah. Because at 10, I knew that movie was good. Oh, yeah. There was something about that movie. I couldn't, I didn't have the the life experience to really understand and articulate mm-hmm. what what I loved about it. But as I've rewatched it now that I'm older, I mean, like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> just like, wow. Because I think, especially maybe it's just because where I'm at in my own life, you get this, this, sense of am i in the right place am i doing the right thing am i moving in the right direction mm-hmm. where i mean my fa- one of my favorite scenes is when Forrest Gump is goes to Jenny's college and it's raining outside and she <laughs> she's with that guy in the car yeah she's with the guy in the car but the the moment that she brings him upstairs into her room she she was asking him you know what do you want to be right what do what do you want to be in in this life and he gives her the best answer I've ever heard in my entire life. He what do you goes, say? He just says, well, aren't I just going to be me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that is so profound in my opinion. But it's also profound. I totally glossed over that part. But it's also profound because she's constantly trying to find her place in this whole movie. Well, I think the thing, the theme of this movie is just people running, right? I mean, yeah. obviously, for very clear purposes – there's a whole sequence of him running. Right. <laughs> and that's what this movie is really about is I feel, at least in my opinion, what I got out of of this was that everybody around him had this idea that they needed to have this sort of future, this destiny. Life was supposed to be this way. Yeah. Um, w- as well as, you know, Lieutenant Dan very clear, very clearly being the, the main um, character to uh, take us on the visual journey of the uh, – of, of destiny right he's like yeah, that was my destiny yeah. i was the daughter yeah nah, complete counterpoint destiny. complete right yeah and then you have jenny who is who is running away from from something she's been running away from that house that she grew up in her entire life yeah right by the way her father totally molested her we yeah yeah there's no way yes. he did i know it's <laughs> yes most definitely because yeah, we know he was abusive but it's like there's more there. Oh, they, I think, kissing and touching. Yeah, I felt. Yeah. I felt like when it came to certain themes like that, it it was super smart to have it come through the eyes of Forrest. So it's got very the innocent. Point. Right. Yeah, it's very innocent, but it got the point right. without being exploitative. Totally, and it's it's very passive in the way that it comes out mm-hmm. because you could you could do a whole other fucking movie based on that yeah. little section alone. Her but that's life. not. But that's not the point. That's not the point. And what I just I love the most. Is that you? You have Jenny that throughout this entire story is running, and she's not just running; she is sprinting. Yeah. Oh my and god! Any sense of happiness that she's about to find, she sprints from. Uh huh. Right until the very end, but it took her to almost to to basically be on her last leg. Yeah. In order to have that, right? My question was always like, why? Why, why was she running so so hard? What was she really seeking in in that sense? I don't think she knew. I mean, and that's the point, yeah. right? Nobody nobody really knows truly what they're seeking. They're just and kind I, of in motion. I didn't necessarily, until this time, I didn't necessarily understand after they had sex why she left. But I kind of feel like the good part of her, I kind of feel there were times where she felt guilty as if she was exploiting him or taking advantage of him. I could, I could and get that sense. I, I feel, you know, like... You know, well, she, she says it, too. She's like, I'm not good. Yeah, well, and I feel the fact that 
you know, he's so loving and things like that. I mean, it's she gravitates towards that because that does mean something to her. But I think she also I'm like, but I don't am I taking advantage of him because he's autistic? You know, is, yeah, I don't know. And so I feel like that's maybe why she left that morning. I don't think that's why, to be honest. Why do you with think you? she left? I think the morning she after. left because she saw she saw happiness mm-hmm. and she saw what maybe life she could thought be that like. she wasn't worth it. Right, and that's the biggest thing that I find is her flaw throughout this entire movie because every She's time Forrest Gump comes into it, she he forces her to look at her self-respect. Well, he 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 um, sees her as amazing and as a wonderful, mm-hmm. and she recognizes that in his eyes, and she just doesn't she doesn't agree. She doesn't think that she's good. She doesn't. She's afraid of what how he sees her. You know, and I don't think she's afraid of how he sees her. I think that she's, she's not comfortable with it. Yeah, I think that she is so she she she's supposed to have this idyllic type of childhood and all this type of stuff. And obviously, her mom dies at a young age. Her dad's very abusive. Abusive um, has to move on. You know, be with her grandmother. And we didn't even talk about whatever that family life was like. Yeah, but it was know. just enough where she was she she had enough of a of an upbringing to to want to run away from it all, uh-huh. right? My the thing through that though, what I love the most is that Forrest Gump. Every time we see see him, she's usually getting disrespected. Oh yeah, right. She's she's getting He's usually there to save her. Yeah, and and stand up for her. And this is the interesting part to me. It's not so much saving her as it is showing her that she's worth more than she thinks she is. Yeah, over and over and over and over again. Uh huh. Right. She he beat up everybody that disrespected her. Yeah. And his, in in front of him, and that's what I love that about that character. He's like, sorry, I started a fight in your Black Panther party. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. And I think there's something really beautiful about a character that does that for somebody. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think again, she she leaves him mainly because the, uh, any form of happiness she doesn't feel like she deserves, mm-hmm. yeah. and that right there is the happiest she would she's probably ever been. Uh-huh. And it scared the shit out of her. Yeah. So what did she do? She ran across, you know, a couple mm-hmm. of states. Yep. She, right. But close enough. She wasn't all the way on the other side. This of This is state. true. She went to only Georgia. Yeah. So that wasn't too bad. Right. Yeah. Um. So I. I mean, and it's interesting enough, too, because obviously she had AIDS, right? No, she had hepatitis C. Oh, okay. Um, That was actually addressed in the sequel book that the author wrote. Gotcha. Because back in the early 80s, this was 81, I think, is when the end, because it was on the bus. That was Uh the first time I've ever noticed that. It was on the The date, the the ad on the bus. Mm. Um, But back then, they didn't know what that was. Because they said, I mean, she even gotcha. says, and they don't know what this. I have a virus, and they don't know what it is. So it's very understandable to think. I thought it was AIDS until I did my. Well, that's when we were this. growing up. That's what everything was. You know, people were popping up with that. Seriously, so, that was the that was the scary thing. Well, that's good, and that makes a lot of sense because I was like, why didn't Forrest have AIDS? Then? <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. She has hepatitis because she's needle sharing and all that oh, type yeah. of stuff through yeah. the sixties and seventies and whatnot. So, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Then that does that mean that if she gave birth to little Forrest Gump that he has hepatitis because it's um, a bloodborne or no or no. is it not in vitro? <clears throat> I I mean I don't vitro? think it, is it's not the, in the womb? in vitro. Yeah, I don't think it's. I don't know. I'm not a doctor here, so just listeners, I am not a doctor. But yeah. um, I guess my assumption was it may have the symptoms and things may have come about after she gave birth. So that's why maybe she just didn't pass it along to Forrest or Forrest Jr. Maybe. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't really know because obviously mm-hmm. you can pass it. Right. Um. But yeah, so let's kind of go. To the beginning a little bit because I noticed something at the start. What's that? Do you notice that he tells the black lady sitting next to him that he was named after the head of the KKK? Yeah, <laughs> that's. I really wish I would have seen the look on her face. Like, is this uh-huh. guy for real? <laughs> yeah, I mean, one first and foremost, that lady in the beginning of the movie was just a bitch. She was a bitch. Was- well, but that didn't help it. Like, yeah. hey, I was. My mom used to be racist. No, that's not why he. She named. Her. She named him after a dude that used to be in the KKK. Like, started the KKK. Yes, I feel like the mom probably when she was younger probably was racist. But there was but... a saying, man. I wish I could remember the movie back. But she said, he said he named him after that guy to kind of show him how wrong he was. 
It was like a I backhanded comment. That. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's literally there. I'll see if I can find it. But the reason why she named him that after that guy was mainly because it was like a backhanded comment to how stupid it was to be a clan I was member. either going to name you Forrest or Adolf Hitler <laughs> because I'm so against Adolf Hitler, so that's your name now. Yeah. Irony. Uh, <laughs> Good luck uh, explaining that Forrest for the rest Hitler. of your life, My name is Forrest Hitler. <laughs> He's like, my name is Adolf Gump. People Adolf. call me Adolf Gump. Oh, my God. That'd be the worst. <laughs> oh, man. I'd be like, Seek's taken, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, the, I, I got to see if I can find it. But she, he did say something uh, about the name okay. and why she I need to re-see that. But, and but it I, made a lot of sense. It was actually really clever. <laughs> gotcha. I just couldn't remember it. I, um, I love Sally Field's character. and yeah. that sh- I love Sally Field's period. Yeah, me too. She's amazing. Yeah. I do love her. Really, really love her. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I just, I love because she really puts in force that he can do anything. And she mm-hmm. never, tra- she fights for him to be treated equally, equally. You know, even though, you know, she had to show she really cared about your education. I think that was more but, for her than anybody why else. Why not? There's no yeah, Mr. Ex- Gump. There's no Mr. Gump. He's on vacation. By the way, I really hope that at some point she explains to Forrest what it really is. Can you imagine if he's with Jenny and she's like, we should go on vacation sometime. Like, no, like, Jenny. No, I don't. No, 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 I have so much go. more I want to do in life. Please don't make me go on vacation. Oh, man. I'm surprised. <laughs> if you and I go on vacation, who's going to take care of Forrest Gump Jr.? Yeah. He's going to starve to vacation. He needs us. <laughs> I just really hope she explained that later because that'd be super traumatic. Where you going, Mama? <laughs> vacation? No. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty. <laughs> I, after I said after she, after that happened, I mean, well, it's very telling though why she says it that way. You know, whatever happened to Daddy? He went on oh, vacation. It's it's when more, you go yeah. and you never come back, yeah. we get that the dad just up and left probably because better than saying you went on a farm because he'd be right. like, Mama, we have a farm. Right. He he dead. He did. And I love that he never comes into this story. Like, you don't need you any don't need of that him. closure. You don't need any of that stuff. No, it's and Forrest it's, and, and his mom. Forrest is raised by a very strong, very single strong. Southern mom. Very ambitious. I mean, totally. she turned that place into, like, basically a bread and back or bed and breakfast. She was the original Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> she really was. I would have Airbnb the shit out of that place. Oh, it's a nice place. Hell you have yeah. dinner and, and all dinner. That stuff. Dude, and breakfast. Get out of town. But seriously, um... What were you going to say? <laughs> so Dude, it's just I, it so just... good. And I love one of the things I have to give a lot of props to Z- Zemeckis because a lot of the historical figures that he talked to, whether it was Elvis or like LBJ or Kennedy, that could have come across. That could have made this movie a laughing stock the right. way that it was handled. But it was handled in such a beautiful way. That it was, it was so seamless. It was seamless. It was. And I met the president. Again. Yeah, and even the way, like, watching the way that they talked, I mean, you could kind of tell it's fake, but honestly... I didn't really care. I didn't care. And it actually looked better than, um... I want to say it was the last Transformers, but they have a completely CGI, like, JFK. Uh-huh. And it's so fucking Uncanny Valley creepy. Where, versus this one, where it was just basically superimposing the mouth, that worked so beautifully. And like I said, that could have fallen on its right. face. I love the integration too of of the actual footage. Yeah, from history, I thought that was wonderful. But that could have been super cheesy, and yeah. Zemeckis did it in a way that just flowed great, and it was a lot of fun. And I just, yeah, like I like how his no nonsense, straightforward, simple view actually served the military well. Where the guy's like, "You must be <laughs> the most goddamn smart." Yeah, that was the best goddamn answer I've ever had. <laughs> what is your major? Yeah, to do to whatever do you say, drill sergeant. <laughs> You're a goddamn genius. It just kind of sucks for anybody that comes in and they ask him that question in the military now, and they give him the Forrest Gump answer. <laughs> it's just like, oh, we got another Forrest Gump on our hands. <laughs> you know, you too, 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 too stupid. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I like, I just, I love the simplicity of that human being and. Even moreover, what I love the most, and I don't know if you caught this, at least for me, was that everybody around him was trying to figure themselves out, right? Yeah. Um, Follow their destiny, do those types of things. Where the moment that shifted is after Jenny leaves, he runs. And he runs for like three and a half years. Over three years, yep. Right? 
And I always was curious, why did he just choose to run? And I didn't understand it as a kid. Uh-huh. Motherfucker was running from a heartbreak. Yeah. That's what he's running from. Yeah. How touching is that? And uh-huh. he basically, it was just like meditative. And he just kept running. And he ran so much. He just kept running and running and running until he worked it all out. And he just couldn't run anymore. He just fell like running. And that was it. And that's the and so interesting to me because for the first time, he's like literally running but without any true purpose. Uh-huh. Right? I mean, he has money. He doesn't need anything. He's a gajillionaire. He's, yeah, he's just going and doing his thing. And it was just, to me, I just, I felt that moment even heavier. Mm-hmm. My favorite is when uh, she's like on her dying bed and he's, and she's talking to him about like his travels and the things that he's done. And, uh, you know, were you scared ever? And he's like, yeah. And then he like takes a beat and then he says, well, there's always these moments, right? There's these moments like when I was in Vietnam where the rain would stop and the stars would come out. And just for that brief moment, life was fucking beautiful or while well, he's running in the desert and you can never, you don't know when the, when the sun starts and heaven begins or the mirroring of the, of the water and the mountains and all these things. And there's, and that's what I think is beautiful because I find we're, we, at least in my opinion, they're living in a society right now where it's always about, um, uh, like ultimate joy and ultimate like it's always the extremes. It, yeah, and I I think it's it's interesting because overly complicated extremes, right? And I think it's interesting when you can look at something where like he just did he just lived that was yeah. it, and that's the beautiful thing to me with within what we can do as human beings. Now, there's a lot you can learn from fucking Forrest Gump. Oh, everything. It's a philosophy. It it really is. Yeah. Um, and I've been reading a lot of like Alan Watts and philosophy and stuff over the last couple of months um and it just kind of i don't know the movie just rained true to me and it hit me differently than i think i've ever watched it mm-hmm. um from a very personal level oh same here and I, and I love all of the um the anecdotes to life throughout this entire film the shit happens yeah shit happens have um, a nice day mm-hmm. all those little things man or aren't i just gonna be me yeah, <laughs> that's like my favorite quote. Out of yeah, the entire that's great. Movie. There's yeah, a ton of deep. Them. Um, but at the very end of the the scene with with Jenny, you know, she's like, "Oh, I wish I could have been there." And there's just this beautiful long beat because we know the audience know exactly what he's gonna say, right? Like we know that he's gonna say, "Well, you you were you yeah. were there every single moment with me." I think that's just the most beautifulest thing to ever. Mm-hmm. You know, cinematically, it's so beautiful. And at the same time, you know, he's he's very emotionless, I feel, throughout most of the movie. Yeah. Everything is just so a matter of fact in well, his mind. Well, it's so deep inside. But, like, his outward persona, and most of the time, he's just emotionless. But right. it's right under the surface. Right. And then the moment that he breaks down and starts crying... At the very end of this movie, that I was done. I yeah. was like, "Bye, <laughs> God, I'll see you later, honey." Why do you have to die? Uh, well, and you know what? He's not even asking that. No. He's not even asking why she had to die or anything. He was just so grateful that she was somebody that was just in his life. Mm-hmm. They were married less than a year. Yeah, less than a year, and he waited and he got the girl that he deserved. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a beautiful fucking life if you get yeah, to have man. something like that. You yeah, know? yeah. And that was the one thing that he wanted the most. Not the fame, not seeing. He didn't care about the money. He didn't care about anything. And it's so interesting because he was he was a professional athlete, basically. Yep. He was a Olympian per, ping, ping pong, pong player. player, right? So he's a professional athlete. He survived uh, a war. He's met the presidents yeah, over multiple multiple presidents. times. Uh, he's Have made to pay. millions and millions um, of dollars. He had a huge like twelve boat. Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. He uh, became a national celebrity in, yep. doing this Running Man scenario. Like any other like a human guru. being. Yeah, any <laughs> other human being like is just ridiculous. One of those things would be a dream for somebody. Not all right. of those and he things. He did all of them and he didn't care about any of uh-uh. them. And the one thing that he truly cared about was the thing that kept running Well, away. because it's kind of, I mean, with everything he's doing, it's kind of inspiring to just be yourself. Yeah. You know, and then just kind of that theme of of if you're trying to be some, you know, why don't you focus on being yourself and succeeding that way instead of trying to be something that you're not and then right. being upset when you don't succeed? Totally. Just be true to yourself, and that's what he was, and he was And look at all the great opportunity that exactly. just kind of happens, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading a book right now called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, super. Was it written by Forrest Gump? I, right. <laughs> um, super good, and it's just kind of funny because I'm watching Forrest Gump, and he l- lives the principles that of this yeah. book that I'm reading. Where it's not so much that he doesn't give a fuck; he just gives minimal fucks about certain things. He just does. He sticks with his guns. He does what he feels is right. Right. And he doesn't waver from that because uh-huh. in his heart he knows it's true. Mm. And thanks to his mama. You know, she just supported him really good values. Well, she I mean, the biggest thing that she taught him was that you're just like everybody else. You're no different than everybody else. And that's what he lived on. Mm -hmm. He was just like, I'm just doing me. Yep. And that was it. You know. Mm. So for me, like I said, man, I I love this movie. It is a very touching story. And come on, Tom Hanks. Thank you. Thank you for this fucking movie. man. Yeah. Like, you know. Zemeckis, I I am so grateful that he was somebody that directed this because I don't know if anybody else could have came at it with that type of heart and so. detail. You know, it's like, I mean, maybe, but I don't know. <laughs> In the nineties, Rob Reiner would probably be the probably closest. Be the closest, but it'd be, I think it would have been too funny if it Rob Reiner would have done it. It wouldn't have had the emotional like dick punch basically right because this was funny but it was rooted in such reality Uh right and i feel like if rob reiner were to do it not to say rob reiner's a bad director we love his movies but there's a there's an a cadence to rob reiner's work that just feels more comedic yeah too slapsticky i think and i and i think you would pulled it too far Uh over one way where zemeckis had such a great way with just staying in the reality Mm -hmm. of who yeah forrest gump was and then you know? Yeah, because I mean, Rob Reiner is more lighthearted, and this mm. is wholehearted. Yeah, yeah totally, <laughs> this is all in. Yeah, I've never watched a movie where my soul felt it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and this is one of those movies. For this kind of reminds me of that same just amazing feeling that Shawshank gave me. Yeah, I could you see know, just that. that tone and that feel and just that the heart. Yeah. Yeah, same thing with, uh, I mean, there's been a few movies that we've seen on this list. Like, Shawshank was one of them. This most definitely. Um, Schindler's List. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, those three films out of how many? <laughs> 58 of these things mm-hmm. that we've seen so far. I mean, yeah, those three for sure just hit the core. You want to know who, three actors that turned down the role before Tom Hanks did it? Oh, let me hear this. Bill Murray. Thank fucking God. John Travolta. Thank you, Jesus. And Chevy Chase. I don't see Forrest Gump in any of those. No, and the author said that he envisioned John Goodman, but he was never offered the role. I can see that, that more of the others, but... But 92, 94 John Goodman was chunky. Yeah. It's like super chunky. Yeah. I wouldn't have believed it. No. Right? I wouldn't have believed that John Goodman would have been a runner. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, That's so funny. Bill True. Murray... Bill Murray could be interesting, but again, it, it I don't know if it would have... I mean, what would you have been? Like, Lost in Translation, Bill Murray? I think so. And I you get what I mean? I, and I, that doesn't work for this. And Lost in Translation is an okay movie, but it's not real no. Bill Murray, in this, my opinion. Tom Hanks was born to play this role. Seriously. I mean, and you know what? He wasn't even paid for this role. And st- what? Yeah, instead, he took a percentage point. <laughs> All right, fine. Get I'll this, though. Oh, he God. netted $40 million. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Where he probably would have paid what three, five million or something like that. If that at that time he wasn't as big of a star. Yeah, because this is the one that like really put him on the uh-huh. map. Right? I think this is the first Oscar, and then he had uh, uh, Green Mile, and um, after right after this was Apollo thirteen. Uh, so this is the the years where his pay went up. Well, dude, he got right in with the right people then, man. Absolutely. Like right after working with Zemeckis, you get in with uh, you get in with uh, what's his name? I don't remember who did Apollo thirteen. Oh, Jesus Christ! It's the Andy Griffith show. The little guy, the the kid. What the fuck? Oh, his name? Ron Howard. Ron Howard. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, Ron Howard movies. Yeah, yeah his a lot movies of sense, do dude. well too. Yeah, yeah, totally. they do. They do pretty good. Uh, I, I'm, I know, you know, back in the day, I used to read the trivia and kind of like, kind of throwing it out there, but yeah. I haven't done it lately. But this trivia is awesome. So, right. well, give it to so me. So, the line, my name is Forrest Gump, people call me Forrest Gump, was ad libbed by Tom Hanks during filming in Rock. My name is Forrest, Forrest Gump. Yeah. And Zemeckis Gump. liked it so much he kept it in the film. Dude, but I mean, it's perfect it's, for it it's with his. Him. <laughs> with Bubba saying whatever Buford blue, but people uh-huh. call me Bubba. Mm-hmm. That's the perfect response because mm-hmm. Forrest Gump probably wasn't like, oh, that's his nickname. He's like, that's just how he's introducing himself. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's like, my name is Forrest Gump. People yeah. call me Forrest Gump. I love it. It's I love so it. perfect. Um, 
Oh, one thing that's kind of cool with every transition of Forest Age, they had this the thing that stayed the same was the first scene of every transition. He wore the same blue plaid shirt. I could see that. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and Tom Hanks actually signed on to the film an hour and a half after of reading the script. Um, but he wanted to make sure that everything was historically accurate. So he didn't even want to uh, do the accent the way that basically they were doing it because he was worried about it not being accurate to the area because he didn't really know it a lot better. But he actually modeled his voice after the young Tom Hanks who actually talked like that. Oh, so he interesting. Actually, the kid, huh? Yeah. So Because before, when I've watched it, I thought the kid was modeling himself after Tom Hanks. You know? But it's no, probably easier the other way, around. way around. Absolutely. So I thought that was really cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, many of the extras of the hippie scenes were actors from a Maryland Renaissance Festival because the casting director uh, realized her, it was Ellen Lewis giving her some props here. She realized that they would be a good source of performers with long hair. <laughs> Eh, makes sense. Uh-huh. Get this for Bubba. The people that uh, turned down the role, David Allen Greer, Ice Cube, and Dave Chappelle all turned it down. Sh- wow. uh, Ice Cube th- refused to play an idiot, quote unquote. He wasn't even an idiot. No, he's like, not. Jesus Christ, dude. And Chappelle uh, thought. I guess that's interpretation, obviously. Right. And Chappelle thought the movie would bomb. So, but Chappelle has since said, like, obviously he totally regretted it. Well, he got to work with Tom Hanks again, and you got mail later. <laughs> totally the same. Yeah. Totally the same. Uh every picture I love this. Every picture of Forrest in the movie, his eyes are closed. I know. I love that. I've and you know what? That's one of my things. sisters. Growing up, my sister in every single family picture we have, her eyes are closed. That's always when she would blink. She would try not to. That's so like funny. say cheese. Cheese. Oh my god. <laughs> you don't have to close your eyes when you say cheese. <laughs> Uh, Kurt Russell says that he did the voice of Elvis Presley in the film. Oh, thank God. Because he reprised his role from Elvis from nineteen. I'm going to tell you right now, I listened to that voice, and I was like, is that Kurt Russell? I literally (laughs) said that. I'm like, is that Kurt Russell? I was trying to see him on the on the credits. He was uncredited. Dude, it. it does not surprise me. It sounds like him for sure. Get this. So Warner Brothers actually gave up the rights to make this movie. Um, in in 1988, in exchange for the rights for the executive decision, because they felt the project had lost its commercial project or commercial promise in the wake of Rain Man, which, by the way, did well. So why in the yeah, hell? Rain Man's a good fucking movie. Well, but it did well too. So why not? You know, nowadays studios piggyback off each other all the time. Right. So nowadays it'd probably be like, sweet, Rain Man did great with autism. Let's yeah. Let's greenlight this, this right now. Yeah. Have it come out next year. Well, the thing, I mean, it's interesting because Forrest Gump, I don't find that, you know, they don't ever say, tell him he's like, are you yeah, retarded that's the, or anything? The book is with the autism, but it's never addressed in the movie. Which I'm really grateful for. Yeah. For well, one. you don't, it doesn't matter. Like what his mom says, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, they kept asking me, you know, are you stupid or something? Yeah, stupid, stupid is, stupid, stupid does. does. Well, you're damn right. You got me there. Yeah. Well, and that's just like the most honest answer you can yeah. have. It, it is what it is, basically. It's a great re- response that his mom taught him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I am grateful that they didn't pander to the, you know, the, the, him being stupid. I mean, the closest thing is like sh- she says, Forrest, you don't know what love is. I may not be a smart man, Jenny, but I know what love is. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, if anybody knows what love is, it's that man. I promise you, because it's so pure and genuine. Exactly. And real. Yeah, it's he more real want... than most of the freaking love out there. I know. We've had that conversation before. I think where people confuse loving the feeling someone gives them versus actually versus actually loving, loving somebody, mm-hmm. and that's why like when, unconditionally. Yeah, and that's why when things go bad, some people have no problem screwing over. But the loving person. somebody unconditionally is scary as fuck. It is. Because it opens you up, makes yeah. you super vulnerable. Yes. You have no walls, and that's terrifying, man. Dude, and and here's the thing. One of the things that me and my wife tell each other, all, like, we scare the crap out of each other because every day, you know, you'd make that choice to mm-hmm. love that person across from you uh, completely skinless. You know, no walls, yeah. nothing like that. It's so, it's scary because at any moment it could be ripped away from you. But then, you know what, to be honest, if that ends up happening... Which I don't feel it will, but if it ever does, at least you had the experience to have truly mm-hmm. let yourself go. Yeah. And I would much rather love like that 
then hold myself back. Right. You'd rather love and loss than never to have loved before. I, if you want to get cliche, <laughs> <laughs> but truthfully, I'm you know, just mainlining your shit. Well, <laughs> I didn't want to say that, <laughs> but I it's saw, true though. I saw it in your eyeballs. Yeah, it's true. Um, so. Uh, when Lieutenant Dan first meets Forrest and Bubba, he says, you you must be my FNGs. Uh-huh. And I never knew what that meant. It's fucking you guys. Yeah. Um, and something I looked up because I noticed it this time around. And I'm just like, I don't know what that is. Is that a thing? But the million dollar wound. I didn't know what that meant. And I Yeah, what it is up. that? I don't even know what that is. That means that you get wounded in a way where you can't serve in combat anymore. But it's not it's not fatal. So you'll recover from it. It's not something that's like irreversible. And you don't lose a limb. You don't, you don't lose, lose a limb. It's like nothing that. that's gonna like be long term problems. Uh-huh. But it's serious enough to get you out of whatever you are. So ma- so <laughs> pretty awesome. But shooting them in the buttocks makes sense. Why that would kick them out of war? Because you're on your feet. You have to like move and be very mobile, mobile. and flexible. You're not gonna be when you got shot right in the buttocks. Yeah. Felt <laughs> so something. Ow, something come up and me. bit me. Um, what's really cool, I love Gary Sinise after this because he co-founded a rock and roll cover band during the mid-2000s called the Lieutenant Dan Band. <laughs> and they would often go on USO tours to play for the U.S. military personnel station around the world, and they'd play a lot of veteran-related benefits. That's pretty and neat. And all the money went towards, towards that. that. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. I love Lieutenant Dan's character, man. I do, too. And I love his arc, it's because such a beautiful art. He's how most people are. The jaded, like this country fucked me. I was supposed to have this. I was, I was promised to get the medals. I was promised all this shit, and the world fucked me. And to have Forrest show him that it's not over, that he had given up, he was boozing it up, and to show Lieutenant Dan a different way, and to well, see. Well, I mean, he pulls him out of the bed in uh-huh. the hospital, and he tells him, like, "What am I supposed to be now? Yeah. What am I supposed? You were supposed to leave me out here. I was, I was supposed, supposed to, to die. die. I was supposed to die with my men. What am I supposed to be now? You know, like that was all who I was. And it's like you're still Lieutenant Dan. Yeah, like that's the best answer ever. Uh-huh. You're still you. Uh huh. He didn't think to himself like, "I saved your life, you idiot. Do yeah. something with it." Mm. He's just like. Yeah, You're, Forrest showed him the way. He showed him the well, light. Well, he just showed I and I don't even think he showed him the light. I think Forrest was somebody that gave him an opportunity to not live into the bitterness. Yeah, or what he thinks was his fate, his destiny. Because destiny can change yeah. and you make that choice. And look at now you're no you're not dead, right? Yeah, you got your legs blown off. <laughs> but you got some really good ass core strength. Cause uh, you hopping in that wheelchair like that that <laughs> easily, that's so hard to do, dude. <laughs> it's so hard to do. My yeah. uh, Britta was telling me that that's what she has to do in PT. Like they they oh, they try to fig- like try to do that because uh-huh. they got to teach people. You know, yeah. she's like it's one of the hardest things you have to do because the wheels are wheeling and you have to have a really good core strength to pop yourself up in the wheelchair. That after, makes sense after like that. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but I think he w- he had a hard time finding where his place in the world was because he thought he was going to die in Vietnam. Yeah. And now he's, he's like... He's going to be a war hero. Shit. Well, I don't even think he was going to be a war hero because he didn't even think he was going to be... He was going to survive well, the war. Well, I just war. meant like in glory and things like that where it's like you're sacrificing your life for the good of the country. I don't even think he... I mean, there was a moment where he got the medal and he was on TV and when we get reintroduced to Dan in New York, he's there drinking booze. And he's telling him, they gave you the Congressional Medal of Honor, uh-huh. right? And he keeps saying it over yeah. and over again. Um, he's like, uh, yep, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yes, they yeah. did. Um, and he got he gets pissed off, but he gets put in his place rather quickly. It's like karma came at him, right? And this is what's kind of interesting is because, in my opinion, with uh, Lieutenant Dan, he keeps questioning God. He keeps questioning he the challenges of him, challenge the shit that out of storm, him. He's but like, every time, you and me! yeah. But every time, it just I don't. Maybe it's just something that I felt like I've kind of noticed. But he's always getting something that happens to him that's kind of like, oh, God may have done it. You know what I mean? Like karma, if you will. But. You know the wheelchair slipping in the ice. I think we all know people ice. like that too, right? You know, everything happens for a reason. But he didn't believe any of that. He no. he wanted no, to make he wanted his own a destiny. scapegoat. He yeah. wanted something to. Blame. He wanted to blame somebody. Yeah, yeah. totally. And but and I also love it. with how bitter he was and how he was 
marginally resentful at times to Forrest. I love how quick he is to stand up to those women that come back on New Year's Eve. Totally. But it's like, don't there's call a beat stupid. right before that, though. There's a beat where he were in the um, the bar at New Year's at the stroke of midnight. And this is where his life is. Mm-hmm. Right. Like there was a long push in. That he just sat there while everybody's cheering and congratulating and giving each other kisses and all that type of stuff. And he's like, this is where my life's at. Yeah. And this is a big turning point. It really is. I love that, you know, he he did have that sense of love for Forrest. Right. You know, I thought that was pretty great. Uh, I'm glad that he came back, too. I'm glad that he actually, because he was a man of his word and he He showed up. He got new legs. Yeah. (laughs) I Uh, also love how he kept his word about the astronaut. When he's like, if you're going to get a boat. I'll be an astronaut because the next movie he does with Tom Hanks is Apollo 13. <laughs> he kept they, his word, man. I wonder if there was a joke on set or something. Yeah, you know, there, like, well, I would love to see rewatch Apollo 13 to see if that's a thing. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> kind of funny. Um, this is the fastest grossing as of 2008. I'm sure it's changed. But since then, this is the fastest growing Paramount film to pass the 100 million, 150 million, and 200 million marks for Paramount. That's pretty. That's pretty. Pretty good awesome. for them. Both Tom Hanks and Robin Wright, I think she's Robin Wright Penn at the time, uh, were sick during different parts of the filming. She was sick with a cold, a pretty bad cold, during the nightclub scene when she's like naked, other than a guitar. She had a cold, and mm. then when Tom Hanks was running for the football scenes, he was suffering from influenza. Uh. So both of them worked through worked through the pain. Um, uh, what else? So, oh yeah, uh, it only took sixty six days for the film to pass two hundred fifty million dollars at the. It was in the theaters for a long time, wasn't uh-huh. it? Uh huh. But sixty six days is pretty. Fa- they probably want to see how much they could make. Yeah. Because in two I remember months, there's a couple of movies back in the day that just were in like theaters Titanic for was a in really there for long forever, time, like man. five months in the theater. Yeah. Uh, Tupac actually also auditioned for the role of Bubba. Oh. He's a great actor. I think that would actually work. I've never seen Tupac. Act. You should see him in gang-related. Uh, is it uh, Menace? I can't remember the other the Don't one be he was a in. Menace? No, maybe the one with Janet Jackson. He was in that one, but or he's is actually it Menace to Society. Maybe I just know the comedy one by the Wayans Brothers. Don't be a menace to society. In South South Central Hollywood, drinking your juice in the hood. Yeah, yeah, it's garbage. But (laughs) speak for yourself, bro. (laughs) I watched Medea this week. Oh no! Oh yes, that shit's so funny, man. What's oh Haley Joel Osment was cast in this film after the casting director noticed him in a Pizza Hut commercial. By the way, it doesn't say, but I specifically remember that commercial because I used to tape, you know, things like with. VHS back in the day, yep. Listeners, there used to be a thing called VHS where you could tape off a TV, uh-huh. and there was a commercial for pizza for their Bigfoot pizza. Do you remember this thing? It was shaped. It was a huge pizza. It was shaped in the rectangle box. Yeah, in a rectangle box where it was shaped like a big foot mm. with even toes and everything. And they were talking to the commercials all about how big this pizza is. And I specifically remember Haley Joel Osment going, "Big would be an understatement." <laughs> Like, I, I vividly remember that. And that's the commercial where the casting director's like, I want that kid. Really? Just based Junior. off of that one, huh? Based on that. Um, the filming lasted four months, which actually is shorter than I thought. Because this is a very, a lot of scenes, a lot of eras. Um, that's pretty good, I think. It's pretty uh, efficient for all the different 120, locations. 120 days, give or take. Yeah. That's pretty good. Um, and that's, uh, let's see. Yeah, we already talked about the hepatitis C. Um, This is so arbitrary. It was crazy, and you know that it was intentional. But um, from the start of the movie until Jenny's death, he always buttons his shirt all the way to the top. But when Jenny dies after that, he has the top one unbuttoned. Like, that's so... I can't believe someone noticed that. But it... I mean, I guess it makes sense. I mean... That's so crazy. Really? I almost feel like that was accidental. <laughs> I do, too. Like, <laughs> our so department just forgot to button it or something. <laughs> it's so oddly spe- specific. If we, if we, <laughs> That's one of those things where I'm like, you're reaching, motherfucker. <laughs> you were literally reaching because what ended up happening is they had barbecue that day, and he had a napkin in his top <laughs> right. pocket, and they're all like, all right, we're up, we're rolling. That's you know, the day he had a sore perfect. throat. And the it's the like... birds are ready. Everything's good <laughs> to go. And he's like, shit, and he runs on yeah. set. You know what I mean? And he gives this awesome performance. And then right after it's done, 
He took off right his back food to the barbecue and then yeah, puts it down. It. Yeah, that's that's pretty like much probably what happened. Yeah. So that's that's, that's the trivia I have, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah, they got some pretty good ones in there actually. Uh-huh. I I always like to see who would the the parts would have been. Yeah. Um, those things are pretty cool. I again, I very rarely see else. Yeah, very rarely do I. Am I like, yeah, they would have been just as good because which is a sign of a good actor that they made the part theirs. Like yeah. Tom Hanks made this part. I can't imagine anybody else doing that, and that's all a credit to Zemeckis and Tom Hanks working together. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. One of my favorite parts in this movie that's more of a comedic moment is the the chunkier guy that's sitting at the uh, the bus stop. And uh-huh. uh, where he doesn't believe that he yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and that... then he shows the magazine to the lady. Yeah, and she's dude, like, that shit's Ooh. so funny to me, man. Cause she didn't believe like... him either at first. And then she saw then the she fortune saw the 500. She's like speechless. <laughs> right. Well, I, you know what I thought was kind of cool too, that I didn't notice when I was younger was the opening of the briefcase in the very beginning of the movie. His whole life, everything was right there, mm-hmm. you know, right then and there. Including could, Curious George. It kind of foreshadowed the entire movie, yeah. which I thought was really he cool. He keeps little mementos it. of everything. Mm-hmm. And he travels, that's what he keeps with him. Uh-huh. You know, those are the memories that he keeps with him. A yeah. paddle, a book, uh, you know, a feather <laughs> that uh-huh. floats through the wind aimlessly. Yep. Super um, dirty, super germy. Uh, Wash on. your hands, son. Well, <laughs> look like a clean bird. Yeah. <laughs> Little do we know that, like, a crocodile ate that bird, <laughs> and the feathers right. are just like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so, have you are you familiar with the Mandala effect? Have you ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. So, there's this theory going around called the Mandela effect, and they call it the Mandela effect because of Nelson. Because yes, because of Nelson Mandela. So, uh, just to kind of iterate this, when did Nelson Mandela die? It was just recently, wasn't it? Yeah. So this is the interesting thing. People thought Nelson Mandela died like years, oh, and years, really? and years ago. <laughs> it so, was like a couple of years ago, wasn't right. it? Right. Yeah. So people. So this is the thing. They call it the Mandela effect because some people remember Mandela dying in like the eighties, uh-huh. and then people are like, "Didn't that dude just die?" <laughs> um, and this is something that I was paying attention to. My buddy was talking to me about it because we were talking about Forrest Gump, and he just brought this to my attention. I don't even know if any of this shit's true. It seems a little too far-fetched, but I thought it was kind of interesting. But basically, they were saying that moments in our our time, um, things that we remember have shifted very subtly, right? Mm. So one of the Mandela effects, um, to kind of illustrate it, is in Field of Dreams, Right. What is the main quote in Field of Dreams? If you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. Right. So here's the interesting thing. It does not say if you build it, they will come. If you build it, he will come. Oh, okay. Is what the actual saying is when you watch the movie Uh now. But other people remember it as they will come. That's how I remembered it because it's a baseball team coming out. Who's he? There's not a one singular he on the team, so it doesn't make any sense to me. Honestly, there's a ton of classic movie quotes that are just regurgitated in a way that wasn't the actual quote. So, and this is the interesting thing. Like, I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. That's not the quote. She never says that. Uh Uh-huh. You know, she never, not in that order. She's right. Like, all right, Mr. DeMille. So, in bear, bearing up. in mind this Mandela effect type of thing, it, it, it's all over the place, right? Um, for instance, uh, from biblical stories, you know, the lion and the sheep, right? Uh-huh. It's not a lion and a sheep. It's actually a wolf and a sheep. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. But I remembered it growing up as a lion and uh-huh. a sheep. And then now the stories, all those paintings and things that we've seen has been now they're wolves so is that because memory memory imprints are based so on perception is, and not so this is what this is where it gets a little far fetched for me <laughs> okay okay and i'll i'll bring this around and i'll i'll fill you in but if any, any of you guys listen to this look up mandela effect it's kind of an interesting thing especially if you're around our age cuz you'll remember things differently um i promise you there's certain <laughs> things that you'll remember that are going to be really different uh but um to which end the the hydrogen collider that's going off in Switzerland right now. Basically, they're looking for uh, they're crashing atoms together, trying to trying to find this. Sounds sexy. Continue. It's this giant ass machine. They ju- they started turning it on over the last couple of years, and they're basically crashing atoms into each other. Uh-huh. Um, and through this process, they're making little mini black holes. <laughs> 
Oh, shit. Yeah, so... That and, can't be good. <laughs> well, and this is the interesting thing. As we're doing this, and I'm no scientist, and you know, I can only know it from, like, a junior high school science level, but basically what they're trying to understand is what holds molecules together. Mm. And if they can figure out the glue, they can kind of backtrack it, and that's why they're colliding them, and they're kind of creating this. But they're saying that every time they're doing this, it's shifting our particles and is shifting our time zones. So what's happening is we're kind of nudging ourselves in one dimension over the other. They better stop doing that then. Very (laughs) subtly. So that's why they're saying that because in, you know, the ideas of parallel universes and things like that. The multiverse. Right. So in one multiverse that there's, uh, you know, if you build it, they will come, which what we remember, but we've been shifted just a small bit into another multiverse that says he will come to where that movie's just a little bit different. Right? Does that multiverse field of dreams is Kevin Costner still starring there? Or is there <laughs> somebody else? Because I'd be okay <laughs> with going to that other dimension. Can we go to that dimension? <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting theory, and they have a bunch of these things online. Like, if you look them up, they'll, they'll do it uh-huh. like Star Wars, C three PO. When I remembered watching it really young, he was a full, you know, gold um, mm-hmm. droid. Now he has one silver leg. What? He has one silver leg. Wow. Yeah. So it's just weird things like that. I mean, there's toys that like all all one way and there's toys that have it the other way. So it's just really, really weird. That's tripping, Um, man. So for this particular movie. How high were you guys when you were talking about this? uh, We were pretty high. I was going to say, that's a stoner conversation. conversation. (laughs) Yeah. When you get get to be an adult, there's like a. (laughs) You're like, I don't want to talk about, you know, food anymore. Like, let's talk about something kind of cool. I already got a wife. I don't need to talk about somebody else's ass, you know? Um but uh, the, the <laughs> that's so funny. This movie, Forrest Gump, uh-huh. is in this Mandela effect, which I thought was kind of interesting. So, um, the 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 quote, right? The 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 thing that everybody quotes in life is like a box of chocolates. So what? Let's see. What is the saying? Mom always said, "Life is like a box of chocolates." Is like a box of chocolates. Never know what you're going to get. He actually says in the movie, and we, we replayed it, and we put subtitles mm-hmm. on, life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah, he says that at the start. Right? But then she says life is, is like. And that's the thing that I thought was kind of interesting, because I remembered it being life is like a box of chocolates. Uh-huh. Mom always said life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. she did, but that's not what he says. Right, and that's the weird part to me because bef- that's the shift. Mm-hmm. And I think the interesting thing to me is that she says it. She reiterates, and we know as screenwriters, yeah. like you would have her say that and yeah. have him regurgitate it, mm-hmm. right? The same way that she was said because it's a callback for yeah. us, right? Those callbacks don't make fucking sense. Yeah. Because he says, Mama always said life was like, and then when she's dying on her deathbed, she says, Forrest, life is like a box of mm-hmm. And she says it the exact same way. So I was like, What? Yeah. That's interesting. Maybe that was Tom Hanks. Oops, a Daisy. Maybe I don't know, man. I don't know. You're right. Like as a writer, you would do quote for quote. That, yeah, and it's that's a callback. And, yeah, and you, you know, they're you don't just write shit. Like they're deliberate, <laughs> right? <laughs> At least I think they are most of the time, yeah. right? So I thought that's kind of interesting. That I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, I just kind of what I already said. I always felt like memories were imprinted in your brain based on perception. And so, that's what I think too. I don't believe yeah. that it's all this like alternate, <laughs> inter- alternate universe type bullshit. I think it's, it's fun just to think about how we pay attention yeah. to things and how our brain re- like reiterates uh-huh. it and, and how it interprets it. So right. it interprets it into how fact it in our brain, but that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. So I don't know. That's I just thought it was a really interesting thing. So the Mandela effect. If you want to go check that thing out, they got tons of that shit on the line. That's awesome. I'm yeah. gonna check that out. Well, I think that's all I want to talk about with Forrest Gump. I just love it. I think I'm this good, man. deserves to be considered one of the best films ever. Oh, yeah. It's up it's there for... fan-fucking-tastic. <laughs> totally. So, other than this, other than Forrest Gump, Jonesy, what's making you hard this week? What's making me hard, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm reading this book right now called uh, Sanford Meisner, uh, The Art the of Acting. Meisner Technique. The Meisner Techniques. It's actually a really interesting book because for me as a director and a writer, my... I'm I'm not an actor. Yeah. At least but it's good to know the yet. language of actors. Well, it's not even the language really. It's it's just how to communicate better. Um and what's really cool is this entire book, it's basically his lectures. Mm. So you're basically in the class with him as you're as you're reading this book straight through. 
such an interesting perspective in how to work with actors, how to get to a place of authenticity. Um, because I find, at least in my experiences working with actors, it's tough to find truth. Yeah. That's what we do as filmmakers. The very core of who we are, we're looking for truth. Mm. And this book really kind of helps um, conjure that out of your actors. Um, so I've been, I haven't gotten too, too deep. I'm probably at like page 80. I've been reading it for like a week or whatever. It shows how fast I read. But um, I'm really trying to absorb it. And it's really, really interesting. So if any of you guys out there that are looking to be directors or actors or even writers, really, I kind of oh. gotten a lot of um, great information on just scene structures based on this book alone. Um, I would highly recommend it. It's not very long. It's like 280, 240 pages or something like that. It's not bad so, at all. I mean, if you if you read super quick, you can get it done in a day or two uh-huh. tops, you know. Um, but I would, I'd highly recommend it. I also got uh, Uta Hogden's book, who's also another uh, uh acting coach from New York, kind of trained like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Robert De Niro and oh, wow. okay. those guys. And so I haven't read that one yet, but that's the one I'm reading right after this. And then I'm just kind of just going through the the teachings uh-huh. of all this stuff. I think I'm going to go to Stanislavski's next and wow, shit like okay. that. And just kind of, because all of them have like a different feel oh, totally. and a different They're... type of approach to uh-huh. certain things. But in all honesty, I might've been ruined by reading Meisner's stuff because it comes from a place of authenticity. Yeah. It's not about acting. It's just about mm. being. Yeah. And I think to me that's the most He was the father authentic. of method acting. Um Meisner? Uh-huh. I wouldn't say method actually. I, I from at least from what I've read so far, it doesn't feel very method, quote unquote. Mm. It just feels authentic. He doesn't talk about absorbing yourself yet. <laughs> so again, I'm only <laughs> like page eighty. Um absorbing yourself like uh you know, Daniel Day, Daniel Lewis. Day Lewis or something along those. He didn't talk about any of that type of shit yet. But I think in some crazy way, you you go through building a character in a way that just feels authentic in uh-huh. choice, right? Like yeah. reacting off of what's happening in the moment. And I, it's just, it's so interesting because I'm like, I'm watching and I'm working with actors now and figuring out, okay, well, I want, I want this type of thing. I need this type of reaction. And you can literally see across from from the table as they're acting that like they're acting, yeah, <laughs> right. And you don't understand how to communicate with them to say, "Hey, you're trying too hard here." Right. You know what I mean? Like you don't need to try yeah. that hard. Stop acting and be, and just be. And I think that's really what his philosophy is about: is just truly being. Because as uh-huh. soon as you are just you, then you're in the doing, and then allowing the action like to allow that. you to yeah. kind of trust yourself uh-huh. like so that. it's a really interesting book and i highly recommend it if you guys are in any of this stuff nice so yeah uh for me uh i watched and finished rather quickly uh failed abc show that was on for two seasons called gallivant have you seen this it's dude, i don't watch stuff anymore dude amazing. i cancel my tv i don't even watch shit. you have netflix anymore I do, but I don't think I've turned that thing on for two weeks. Wow, dude. It is, it's a comedy musical in the uh, medieval times, uh-huh. basically. It's, it's about, you know, this courageous guy that songs Weren't you telling me about this a couple weeks ago? A couple weeks ago. Yeah. I was talking to you offline on this, but it's amazing. It's funny. The music is very original. Um, it's just so much fun, so much tongue-in-cheek, and... Uh, Vinnie Jones is in it. Who's that? And he's delightful. He's juggernaut, bitch. Uh, okay, that thank guy, you. The, um, son, the football player from yeah. Europe. Yeah, and he, uh, he's so delightful in it. Like he's so he kind of sings a little bit and dances in this, which <laughs> never in a million years would I imagine him ever doing. That's this. awesome. Yeah, it's so fun, and it just plays with the tropes, kind of like both spoofs and celebrates that type of like knights in shining armor type of. Um, stories. It's called Gallivant? Gallivant, because that's the character, the main character. It's Gallivant. And he's just, it's awesome. Highly recommend it. Uh, Maybe if I catch Um, a free time. And even there's some meta stuff to it. Like in the second season, he has a full beard or whatever. And some woman's like, that's a big beard. He's like, it's not big. It's accurate for the time period. (laughs) (laughs) And it's it's just great. I highly recommend that. I think the next series that I'm going to rewatch is Mr. Bean. Oh, I love Mr. Bean. Oh, my God. My favorite one is when he goes to the beach 
and there's a guy sitting there with sunglasses or whatever, and he has a suit on. He has to change into a swimsuit, but he doesn't want to change in front of this guy. Uh-huh. So he tr- he just finagles, like, putting the suit on and taking off his long pants and all this stuff and working so hard. It took him forever to do it without showing his bits to this guy uh-huh. sitting there. And after he did all this, the guy stands up, and he walks away with a seeing eye stick. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> Such a good punchline. <laughs> I love Mr. Bean, man. Yep. I'm a big fan of that stuff. So, yep. well, all right. Well, next episode, we are watching Shrek. Why? Because apparently, according to the list, it's one of the top, I think, 10 animated features ever. Screw you, donkey. Yeah, because the rest were, I mean, we'll go over other ones, but there's a lot of Disney on there. This is the only, like, non-Disney one on the list. Oh, man. So we're going to we're gonna watch some Shrek where he does the same voice that he did in So I Married an Axe Murder. If you want my body, all you have to do is ask me <laughs> now. Uh, hid. Down now. <laughs> it's like an orange on a toothpick. <laughs> <laughs> well, fuck, dude. We're gonna do it. I gotta. I'm gonna have to like do something to get you to choose better movies. <laughs> I'm gonna stop making you choose movies. I'm gonna start choosing. Well, them. okay. In two from that one, we'll 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 get a good one because after Shrek, we have the Counterpoint episode. Oh god! So you'll be excited to learn which one we'll be doing there. All right, man. Well, yay! Until next time. Until next time. We out. Oh, 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 oh.